Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 94. We'll begin with a brief summation of Isaiah chapters 16 through 19 and follow with a consideration of national feelings and the imaginary. Chapter 16 of Isaiah continues with Yeshayahu's elegy about the fate of Moab. It's in this chapter that Yeshayahu tells the Jews to grant refuge to those fleeing the destruction, but he goes on to describe the devastation of the countryside and how the once fertile vineyards and fields will be abandoned to ravage and neglect. In short, the bad times for Moab will continue. Chapter 17 shifts our attention to the north, to Damascus, where they too will catch it in the neck from God. Remember, we are neck deep in this section where Yeshayahu is prophesizing about foreign nations, and this prophecy too begins in the typical manner, Masa Damesik, or as the JPS renders it, the Damascus pronouncement, except that's where the typicality ends. This prophecy could be about anyone really, it's about Ephraim, the Jews of the north, and perhaps even all of humanity about the divine blast crater being large and wide, and Israel will also feel the brunt. Fat will grow lean, nations will rise up against Israel, and they will be defeated. And perhaps then, the people will be able to focus on important things, like God, and reject the altars and sacred poles they have erected for themselves. Up next, Ethiopia, about whom the prophecy begins in a quite atypical fashion. There is no Masakush opener. Yeshayahu just launches right in. And the real focus is, once again, the Jews, Mount Zion, the God of Israel, and the world that stands in the shadow of the Assyrian overlords. But this prophecy is veiled in mystery. The opening verse about the land in deep shadow of wings is a cryptic allusion, as is the reference to a nation of gibber and chatter. And who is the one that sends envoys by sea in vessels of papyrus? And to whom is he sending these envoys? And even this rendering can be rendered differently. The phrase tzilzal knafaim perhaps is playing on the Hebrew word tzel, or shadow, in the way that the word zalzalim from verse 5, or the phrase kav kav from verses 2 and 7, rings in the ear. This shadow covering the mysterious place might be located between high mountains that cast broad shadows, or perhaps tzilzal refers to a particular species of locust, a land teeming with locust on the banks of its rivers, which might be referring to the land of Cush or Ethiopia, or perhaps it's a reference to the sound of the wings, the onomatopoeic tzilzel, that kind of has a metallic twang. Chapter 19 plants the prophetic crosshairs on Egypt. This prophecy is divided into two sections. The first, verses 1 through 15, portrays total social collapse in Egypt. and focuses solely on the breakdown of that society. Yeshayahu describes that collapse in social and economic terms. As the economy of Egypt is based on the Nile, he talks in the Nile levels dropping, drying up the vegetation, and causing the collapse of the fish stock. The second section, verses 16 through 25, collect five declarative statements about Egypt, each beginning with the phrase, Bayom Hahu, in that day. And whereas the first section might be read as mocking or schadenfreude, the second part is a bit more friend shamany sounding a more consoling tone. And yes, that was a brazen callback to the previous episode. So if you want to learn more about Friend Shaman and Schadenfreude, you know what to do. This latter section also situates Egypt in relation to Israel and God and foretells better times. Quote, In that day, Israel shall be a third partner with Egypt and Assyria as a blessing on earth. For the Lord of hosts will bless them, saying, quote, Blessed be my people Egypt, 
my handiwork Assyria, and my very own Israel. Thus endeth the summation, and beginneth the consideration. We've heard a lot about various nations in this section of the book of Isaiah, their kings, their prophecies, the devastation. But for me, one nation stands out in this episode, Ethiopia. In a sense, Ethiopia is one of those places that captures the imagination of the Tanakh for its foreignness. It's an exotic land, described in passing yet poetic allusions here. But there are other references which we'll get into later when we explore the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. There was one reference, though, that sparked the imagination of a whole nation, and the word Ethiopia doesn't even merit a single mention. I'm referring to a story in 1 Kings chapter 10, quote, And the queen of Sheba heard the rumor of Shlomo for the name of the Lord, and she came to try him with riddles. I got into bad brains in college in the transition years between the 80s and 90s. Bad brains, that is, H.R., Dr. No, K-N-O-W, Daryl Jennifer, and Earl Hudson, formed a hardcore punk band in Washington, D.C. in 1977. They are probably the founders of the genre of hardcore punk, although they also recorded songs in the reggae style, as well as funk, heavy metal, hip-hop, and soul. I got into Bad Brains before I got into Bob Marley and the Wailers. Usually it's the other way around, if at all. And it's a pretty big jump from one to the other. However, both are exemplars of the musical expression of a religion which developed in Jamaica in the 1930s, following the coronation of Haile Selassie I as Emperor of Ethiopia in 1930. I'm referring to Rastafarianism. The name Rastafari is taken from Ras Tafari, where Ras means head, prince, or chief in Amharic, the language of Ethiopia. Tafari was Haile Selassie I's name before his coronation, Tafari Makonin. Get it? Prince Tafari, Ras Tafari? Believers refer to Haile Selassie I as Jah or Jah Rastafari, where Jah is short for Yahweh or Yahweh. Haile Selassie is embraced by Rastafarians as the incarnation of God the Father, the second advent of Christ, the Anointed One. Rastafarians also embrace the spiritual use of cannabis. Another critical aspect of Rastafarianism is the rejection of materialism, oppression, and sensual pleasures. This is what they call Babylon or Babylon culture. In its place, they call for a return to Zion, which is Ethiopia, the original birthplace of humankind. Sheba is the seventh track on Bad Brains' fourth album, Quickness, where the explicit connection is made between Queen of Sheba, Ethiopia, and the Rastafarian movement. You um, may want to turn down your volume at this point. <laughs> According to Rastafarian lore, when the Queen of Sheba came to Jerusalem to parley with Shlomo and ask him difficult questions, she also slept with him. 
the queen gave birth to a boy, nine months later, Menelik, who became the founder of the House of Solomon dynasty in Ethiopia in 950 BCE. The Solomonic dynasty continued to rule Ethiopia with few interruptions until 1974, when the last emperor, Haile Selassie I, was deposed by the Derg, which in the Ge'ez language means the committee. The Derg ruled Ethiopia from 1974 to 1987, when it was abolished by Mengitsu Haile Mariam and replaced with the People's Democratic Republic of Ethiopia. Mariam, if you recall, came up in episode 90, when we discussed the Ethiopian famine and live aid, and Mariam was the pro-Soviet dictator who stood idly by while his people starved in the late 1980s. So while Selassie was being deposed in Ethiopia, Rastafarianism was becoming an international phenomenon. Reggae music was climbing the pop charts due to the stylings of singer-songwriter Bob Marley. And with Eric Clapton's cover of Marley's I Shot the Sheriff topping the U.S. Billboard charts in 1974, reggae went mainstream. But here's the thing. The Queen of Sheba, or Malkat Shiva, was, well, probably kinda not from Ethiopia. Shiva, most scholars agree, was probably referring to the South Arabian Kingdom of Saba, which was located around the oasis of Marib in present-day Yemen. Shiva was also known in the classical Arab world as Arabia Felix, or Fertile Arabia, an area on the southwestern coast of the Arabian Peninsula where it rained a lot more and was thus greener. The high peaks in the area, as well as the slopes and wadis, supported vegetation. However, some of the Sabians crossed over to the Horn of Africa around the middle of the first millennium BCE into an area that would later be known as the Kingdom of Aksum in northern Ethiopia. The Tanakh distinguishes between Shiva, that is the Yemenite Sabians, from Seba, that is the African Sabians, as it does, for example, in Psalms chapter 72, verse 10, quote, the kings of Sheba and Seba all shall offer gifts. However, this difference in spelling does not necessarily mean that there is a substantive difference between the Yemenites and the Africans, and this potential difference matters substantially less than the feelings expressed by Ethiopian Christians and Rastafarians about their national origins. And it's not just feelings fueled by reggae music or ganja, it's the stuff which animates a nation. Benedict Anderson called the nation an imagined community. Think about it. A nation is too big to be an actual community. You don't interact on an everyday face-to-face -face level with your nation. You'll never know most of your fellow nation members. You'll never meet them, or even hear of them. Yet in your mind, you are connected somehow. And I know when you hear the word imaginary, you immediately think of Snuffleupagus, Big Bird's imaginary friend in Sesame Street. At last! Oh, joy, joy! I told you there was a Snuffleupagus, and at last, you've seen him, and you gotta believe it, right? Because in your mind, the nation is a group to which you belong. You are part of America, or Canada, or Israel, or France, or Germany, or wherever, United Kingdom, Australia. You're connected to it through its traditions, its symbols, its songs, and that connection can be deep and very meaningful. So whether you sing Hatikva, or O Canada, or Waltzing Matilda, or hang a flag from your front porch, or read Parson Weems' stories about George Washington and the cherry tree, or the 14th century Kebra Nagast, which tells how the Queen of Sheba, otherwise known as Queen Makeda of Ethiopia, met King Solomon, and how about the Ark of the Covenant came to Ethiopia with Menelik, yes, that Ark of the Covenant, the origin story of your people 
resonates deeply and plums the depths of your emotion. Your nation can inspire you to write music or vote for a terribly unqualified candidate or make war, so even though it might seem as real as a large, brown, tuskless, and earless woolly mammoth, it is as palpable and tangible as you and I. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, hey, you should check out TanakhCast. Or like TanakhCast at the show pages on Facebook or Google+. Or write a brief review at the iTunes Store, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people find TanakhCast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels, either on a one-time or monthly basis, and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that, and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for Episode 95, when we continue in the Book of Isaiah with chapters 20 through 23.